Good evening, everyone. Welcome to a special SACPA session. We usually don't have uh, these sessions in the evening uh, at this uh, location, but uh, we thought this would be a fitting place to have it because everybody knows where this is. Uh, just a few little house chores here. We, we're not uh, charged. We're not asking anybody to put money in the basket because uh, we'll bring the basket around after. We'd like to do a little little uh, drive here. Not not money for the Alberta party, but to pay for the coffee tonight. So we're going to pass the hat around at some point. Uh, I'd like to thank. Uh, the University of Lethbridge and Country Kids in Kedang for accommodating us. And uh, Lethbridge University, they, of course, send out notices. Uh, I'm not going to say a lot about that, but uh, I'm just going to in introduce Sue to you, Sue Huff from the Alberta Party. She's uh, been kind enough to travel the province lately and uh, put a little bit of life into the into democracy in Alberta. Hopefully, that will be the end result. Uh, Sue is uh, from uh, Edmonton, and her background is actually in uh, theater, which uh, should resonate well with the politicians. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Sue was recently uh, voted into the uh, Edmonton Public School Board and uh, I think that's her introduction into politics. And uh, I don't know how she got involved with the Alberta Party, but uh, she'll tell you about that, I'm sure. So without any further ado, I uh, invite Sue up and give her a warm welcome. Lethbridge. I'm a little shorter than you. Good evening. Uh, my name is Sue Huff, and I am the acting leader of the Alberta Party. Uh, it's a great uh, privilege and honor for me to be here today. And I'd like to begin by thanking the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs for the work that you do. For over 40 years, SACPA has engaged Southern Albertans in discussing important issues that affect your community. Now, Alberta is blessed with many gifts, including organizations like yours, with the wisdom to focus on citizenship and to encourage diverse points of view. I would also like to thank SACPA for creating this special meeting just for me and inviting me to speak to you. Um, as I said, this is a great opportunity for me, and I thank you. I was recently at a public meeting in central Alberta where the politician on the stage spoke for about an hour and then limited questions to a few minutes. And tonight, I'm going to do the exact opposite. My remarks will be about 12 minutes long, and the rest of the two hours belongs to you. So I'm happy to answer your questions, but I also want to hear from you and enter into a dialogue about your vision for the future of this great province. And so if there's one thing that I've learned, it's that politicians need to talk less and listen more. So today I've been asked to address the question, can the Alberta Party be a viable alternative in provincial politics? Well, of course, I truly believe the answer is yes. And it's not because we have the most money or the biggest staff. We don't. I still answer my own phone, and I clean my own toilet. We will be a viable alternative because we're engaging Albertans who believe in not only changing government, but in changing politics. So let me tell you a little bit about the Alberta Party. 
The Alberta Party has existed in one form or other since 1985, but in 2010, we undertook a major rebuilding, which reestablished the Alberta Party as a moderate, pragmatic, and inclusive party. We look for the best solutions no matter where they come from because we believe there is wisdom in all Albertans and across all political lines. About one year ago, my colleague, the leader of another political party, addressed this group. She began her part with her party's ideology. The battle between left and right ideologies is very limiting, and it supports rabid partisanship. Political parties seem to oppose each other just for the sake of opposition. And this approach doesn't reflect the way that Albertans live their lives. Successful businesses and healthy families take a 360-degree view and come up with a constructive solution. They don't rely on ideologies. So debating big government versus small government seems a little pointless to me. How about smarter government? So regardless of ideology, we can and should all play our part in finding solutions to our challenges. We need to shift our focus from political battles to province building, just like Peter Lawhey did in 1971. The Alberta Party believes in a more balanced and constructive approach to politics. We're committed to changing the culture of politics, including the relationship between the politician and the public and between politicians themselves. So let's start with our commitment to listening to Albertans. The Big Listen is the Alberta Party's ambitious and authentic program of citizen engagement. It's designed to meaningfully connect our party to Albertans. To date, we've listened to well over 1,500 Albertans, and we did this in the slow way, often with small groups of 10 or 12 Albertans in coffee shops, living rooms, and through the use of innovative technologies. We heard their stories, their challenges, and their hopes for our province. We also asked them what they were grateful for living in Alberta. Albertans have told us that we live in a beautiful province, blessed with inspiring natural landscape, a proud history of citizenship, community spirit, and entrepreneurship. We also heard that people feel Alberta has not lived up to all it can be. We want our politicians to work together constructively, much like we do with our neighbors. We're all willing to push or pull our neighbor out of a snowbank, and our hope is that we can bring some of that same energy and cooperative spirit to politics for the benefit of all Albertans. So who are our members? Who is joining the Alberta Party? Well, we've attracted Albertans from all political backgrounds. I'm particularly proud that we have many members who have never previously belonged to any political party. In fact, just about an hour ago, we had a number of people at a meeting at Luigi's Pizza, and some of them bought memberships, and it was their first membership ever. Our belief in diversity is reflected in the composition of our provincial board of directors. The average age of our board is 38, with an age range from 20 to 68. The political background of our board members include PC, Green, Liberal, NDP, and people new to politics. 42% of our board members are women, and we have proportional representation from urban and rural Alberta. Our membership is growing at an exponential rate. A year ago, we had 40 members. Today, we have well over 800 with 120 people joining in the last two weeks. We have over 100 volunteers working on our policy development committee alone, and we only have 1.5 staff. Michael Walters, our provincial organizer, give a wave there, Michael, is the one, and I am the 0.5. Although we like to joke that we do the work of four people. And on January 24th, we welcomed our first MLA. 
This was a big, big moment for us as a party. Dave Taylor, MLA for Calgary Curry, who was sitting as an independent for the last 10 months, decided to join us. Now, our process for accepting sitting MLAs is posted on our website, and it includes an extensive and thorough check for alignment and ultimately puts the authority, the real decision, in the hands of the local constituency board, not at the provincial level. Dave is excited to be part of our team, and he's particularly thrilled about our MLA guidelines regarding free votes. He feels this will really help him to better serve his constituents. And he sends his regrets tonight. He was in Lethbridge this afternoon with me, accompanying me to meetings with the mayor and council and a couple of interviews, but he had a uh, commitment back in Calgary tonight, so he had to go back. But he wanted, to tell, he wanted me to tell you that he looks forward to visiting Lethbridge again soon. So let's talk a bit about the upcoming election. The Alberta Party is busy preparing to be a serious contender in the next election, which experts tell me is somewhere between eight months and two years away. Gotta love experts. Um, as of today, we have 27 constituency associations set up across the province. We'll have 50 by mid-March, and all of the remaining will be in place by the summer. Yesterday, we had a great meeting in Medicine Hat with standing room only to get the wheels turning to set up a constituency association there. And earlier tonight, we did the same here in Lethbridge. As well, yesterday, Glenn Taylor, the three-time mayor of Hinton, announced that he is seeking leadership of our party. Glenn is a fantastic candidate, and several others will be joining the race in the coming weeks. The leader will be elected by the members on May 28th. So that's an overview of the people. Now let's talk a bit about the policies. We have policy direction in five key areas, all stemming from the priorities, hopes, and pressures that Albertans identified during the Big Listen. These areas are education, health, the environment, a diversified economy, and democratic renewal. Education is the foundation of our policies. It underlies the future health and wealth of Alberta. And that's why the Alberta Party wants to build a primary and post-secondary education system that serves all students and provides them with opportunities to thrive. As a former trustee, this is near and dear to my heart. In healthcare, the Alberta Party emphasizes prevention as a means to ensure the sustainability of our publicly funded healthcare system. We acknowledge that health demands will only increase in the future, and currently, prevention is only 1% of the healthcare budget, and we feel that needs to change. We also emphasize primary care, accessibility, and a strong mental health strategy. Albertans told us they want a vibrant and diversified economy to create a sustainable future, both within the energy industry and in other sectors. And furthermore, Albertans see energy and the environment as two sides of the same coin. We must optimize the return from our resource-based industries, leverage our wealth to diversify the economy, and protect the environment, all at the same time. For the Alberta Party, democratic renewal is about increasing trust and transparency in government and in politics in general. We will lead by example. Candidates in our leadership race are required to fully disclose donations two weeks before the vote, a policy that our colleagues and other parties are not so sure they wish to institute. We hope they will choose to follow our lead. Now, locally, I understand there are many issues specific to the city of Lethbridge and southern Alberta, and I commend your city council for recently considering a 10-year action plan to make Lethbridge an even more inclusive and welcoming place. We believe that the provincial government should develop a more respectful and collaborative partnership with locally elected officials. As the people closest to the community, municipal leaders often find creative, homegrown solutions to their community's challenges, 
only to experience roadblocks at the provincial level. That is why the Alberta Party is developing a municipal relations policy which emphasizes strategic and stable funding to meet each municipality's unique objectives. So far, I've met with the elected officials in Hinton, Grand Cache, Grand Prairie, Drayton Valley, Settler, Drumheller, Medicine Hat, and today Lethbridge to gather feedback on our draft policy around municipal relations. Overwhelmingly, the response has been very positive, and I look forward to meeting other municipalities before finalizing our policy in May. The Alberta Party views policy development as a continuous process, and I'd be happy to get into more specifics with you about our policies when we open it up for the Q&A. Now, looking around the political landscape these days, there can be no doubt that we are in a time of unprecedented change. The upcoming election, I think, will be the most dynamic in recent memory. And I believe this atmosphere of change presents a great opportunity. Now, I'm not talking about the political pundits' fascination with splitting the left or splitting the right or a once-in-40-years opportunity for a different party to seize power. I'm talking about the opportunity to engage all Albertans in defining the future and for us, as a party, specifically, the chance to build a new home for the politically homeless. We know that a whopping 60% of Albertans didn't vote in the last election. Effectively, they were saying none of the above to all of the parties on the ballot. And I believe the Alberta Party can be an option for those 2.2 million Albertans. Of course, citizenship means more than voting once every four years. At a recent forum, a citizen asked another opposition party, if we give you the keys, what will you do? And my thought was that the days of turning over the keys should be behind us. The keys belong to Albertans, and through ongoing, meaningful engagement, we can create a vibrant, strong democracy here, a democracy that we can all be proud of. And that's why our constituency associations will do more than just raise money and support the election process. Alberta Party constituency associations will enrich their communities by volunteering, hosting social events, and promoting speakers. They will be a hub for community building and citizen engagement. But to be clear, we also need and appreciate your donations. You can visit albertaparty.ca to find out more about that. Because as I say, democracy is priceless, but it isn't free. I would like to conclude with a story about an Alberta Party member named Chris. He is an Edmonton-based entrepreneur, a leader in the business community. And for me, he personifies the get-it-done attitude of our party. A few years ago, Chris was actively involved in the local constituency association, the Progressive Conservative Party. Chris began to think that the government was headed in the wrong direction. He found he couldn't look himself in the mirror, or he couldn't look his daughters in the eye anymore, and honestly say that he believed in his party. So Chris joined the Alberta Party board, first in the communications role, until he recruited someone more capable than himself to take that over. Then he moved to the finance portfolio until, again, he found someone who had more skills to replace him. He eventually became the vice president of the party, and today he is the president of our provincial board. And yes, he's already trying to replace himself in that role, too. Alberta Party President Chris Labossier re represents the humble leadership of our party. At a time when Alberta is embroiled in turmoil over political leadership and internal party struggles, Chris and the Alberta Party members are committed to sharing the stage to recruit and empower others. We are looking for the best people and the best ideas. We are not looking left. We are not looking right. We are looking forward. 
with optimism, courage, and determination. By engaging Albertans in changing politics rather than simply changing the government, the Alberta Party will be a viable alternative in the next election. Thanks again to Sakpa for this opportunity, and now I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you. So let's open it up. What do you want to know more about, or what do you want to challenge us on? Sue, I think we should uh, maybe have a quick five-minute break to fill up the coffee cups. Sure. And uh, then we'll uh, continue with the questions. And uh, if anybody would like to ask questions, uh, please uh, go to the mic there, because uh, we're recording this session, so... Uh, other people can listen to what's going on here. Uh, so, yeah, if you like to take a five-minute break and we can fill up the coffee the cups, the and then we'll do a little little uh, collection afterwards, and we'll get on with the questions. Thank you. Hello. Can I ask everybody to uh, sit down again? And we'll get started with the question period. Uh, before we start, I just have a couple of housekeeping items to uh, to announce. Uh, tomorrow, SACPA's regular session is, uh, we talk about, uh, it's democracy as well. We're talking about, should voting be compulsory? That'll be, uh, there will be a debate formed by uh, two different speakers tomorrow, and uh, our fearless leader, Gordon Campbell, is going to sum things up in the end. Uh, that session also happens at the university in the afternoon at 4 o'clock. And just uh, to let you know, next week's session will be on hydraulic fracking, which is going to be happening in our neighborhood pretty soon. So uh, we're going to address that on the 17th. Uh, I'd like to invite Sue back up here. She's already here, of course, but uh, I just want to relate how I met Sue. Uh, I made a sly comment on the comment line in the Lethbridge Herald on, online uh, about democracy, and uh, Sue actually replied to that uh, or commented also. So uh, as, as, when I saw that, I contacted Sue and asked her if uh, we could ever get her to Lethbridge, and so this is how Sue ended up here. <laughs> anyway, uh, questions? Thank you. Thank you. Hi, my name is Ben Raleigh. My question has to do with social policy. I'm a person who's on H and also gets funding from PDD, and it seems to me the conservatives just try to scrape, give as minimum... And I think all the raises that I've been on H were just given to us before an election. So is i wondering, what's your policy for social aspect of the, the province? 
Well, I think that's, uh, I mean, that's an incredibly important uh, area. And Albertans, actually, when we did the big lesson, they said that that was something they really wanted strong policy around. That will be part of the next policy that we develop, the one that we're working on right now. So um, I can't give you an answer of where that's going to go. But what I've seen from the big listens and from talking to people is that Albertans are incredibly compassionate and that they don't feel that their government is being as compassionate as they would like. So um, I would encourage you to get involved in our policy development. Uh, send myself or Michael or just even info at albertaparty.ca an email saying, I'm interested in your social policy and I want to be involved um, because that's that's how it's going to happen. It's going to happen through listening to people like you who have you know real experiences to share and, and building something that, that better serves the needs of people. Um, so that's a long answer to say get involved and help us shape it. Thank you. Thanks. Next, don't be shy. <laughs> uh, Dustin Fuller, hi, thanks for coming. I was reading in the policy directions that the Alberta Party supports like entrepreneurialness, um, that small business spirit and trying to harness that and trying to find agreements that would support such. Does that include Tilma? Does that include, oh, Tilma. We don't really have a position on Tilma, do we, Michael? What's y- Yeah. Sorry, Michael Walters. <laughs> Come stand beside me. We'll tag team. No, 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 no. Shared leadership. We're all about shared leadership. <laughs> Certainly as part of our... Is that on? Is it? Okay, good. As part of our, our development on social policy, as, as uh, Sue just answered, Ben, uh, you know, our labor uh, policy and the labor code and, and how we're dealing with labor, which, you know, I, my understanding of Tillman is a labor mobility agreement where people get, you know, we can transfer goods and services and labor. So that is an issue that's been brought up. So again, you know, we're at this point in our party's history where we have policy developed and underway in these five big areas, and then by May we hope to have all of them developed. So any, again, this may become a common answer, but any <laughs> input that you have, we, and I'm not just saying this, we want you to be, we want you to participate in that. But that is an issue that's come up, certainly. From your standpoint, what is the, what's your perspective? Uh, Tilma? Hmm. Basically, if uh, regulations get in the way of corporations making profits, they can turn around and sue the government. Um, And so now it's kind of like you're talking about workers and if they're going to have any type of, like, benefits and health, like, well, that's impeding profits, you Mm -hmm. know, so providing basic standards of living and um, benefits. Um, My second question then, and this might be something that might come out in May as well, um, I think the residents of Lethbridge have spoke really loudly and demonstrated loudly that they really support public health care. And with the recent, um, using St. Mike's as an example, it turned into a designated assistant living facility. Would the Alberta Party um, kind of run a healthcare system that would support both public and, I guess, this designated assistant living, or would you be closing down the DAL and going back to public healthcare and providing that? Well, I don't know about the specifics of that case. But I think that well, just pe- generally speaking, in generally the province, speaking, yeah. we support publicly funded, publicly administered, publicly governed. Healthcare, because that's what Albertans told us they wanted, and that they really want the healthcare system to work. That they feel there's an enormous amount of, uh, uh, we, we we spend more on healthcare than any other province, and yet we don't seem to have the same results that some of the other provinces have. So why is that? Um, there's a lot of questioning around around healthcare, and in fact, tonight earlier, 
this gentleman over here, um, had an, a number of things to say about that. And there are a lot of people who are frontline workers that have an enormous amount to say about what could be done differently, how it could be more effective, how it could be more responsive. Um, so I think, you know, our, our stance is that we're, we're interested in publicly funded healthcare. We're not interested in, in a, a two-tiered system. But the specifics of the case that you're talking about, I'm not familiar with. So. And, a general question. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for assisted living as it pertains to seniors in particular, I think there's uh, this big, bigger question that started to get cracked open a little bit in the big listen, which is how – so we asked the question, how many seniors in the room are excited to move into a long-term care and assisted living facility? And no one ever puts up their hand, surprisingly, right, that we need to start to reimagine how we – how we build housing and how we integrate housing, the idea of multi-generational housing, that these are questions that we really have to start mm -hmm. digging into seriously. And home care. And home care. For seniors in particular. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Hi, my name's Greg. Hey, Greg. Um, I think you mentioned that in the last election, only 40% of Albertans mm -hmm. voted something. Okay. Um, so my question is, you know, we have very little or very low participation rates here in Alberta. I think it's because of our political system. It's a first-past-the-post system, mm -hmm. and that might be good in jurisdictions that have two major parties, like Canada and the States, for you know a great part of our histories. But now in Alberta, we have four or five parties. Federally, we have five or six. Why don't we have proportional representation? That would really give people a sense of, of democracy and participation and, and so on. And, and do you envision that being part of your platform? Well, you know, it's, it's not part of our platform right now. I mean, democratic renewal is a huge part of what we are about. Uh, we didn't get clear consensus from people about what was what electoral form is the best version. Um, and so we, we haven't come out with a clear answer yet. But on my Facebook page, I started a discussion thread about proportional representation, and it's fascinating if you ever want to, you know, get up on it, um, because everybody, not because I know so much about it, because I don't, but because so many people chimed in, and there are so many different models, shared models, blended models, um, you know, uh, single vote transfer, all, all these different, you know, um, versions. Right. And I think what we need to do is have a discussion about does first past the post work? Mm -hmm. Is it serving our needs? And is there a better model? But first of all, we have to have a discussion because so many Albertans don't even know about that or know what it means or they have a vague idea of what these mean. And so you have to really start with education and discussion. But I think that that electoral form is probably going to end up being part of our, our vision uh, after we've had that discussion where enough people know what, what we want to do. I mean, we, we develop policy based on what you want us to do. So if enough people start to really uh, agitate for a particular type of electoral reform, then of course we would adopt it. It's not about serving the party, it's about serving the people. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Hi, my name is Greg Bailabziski. I'm from Lethbridge here. Um, got your pamphlet here on the back. I'm intrigued by your diagram as far as the policy making, and I think that's really great. I wonder if you can just describe a more detail of how the, uh, specifically the research, you know, once you get the common themes and all that stuff, what, what are you going to do to make sure it's very democratic, uh, the research and refinement when you, when you uh, formulate finalize a policy? That's a, a great question. So what we did was we had these all these big listen discussions, and we uh, recorded what people said, and then we sent the notes back to all the participants to say, have we got it right? Did we accurately represent that meeting? And then they all sign off uh, on it, and then that document goes to the policy committee. So we ended up with uh, about uh, how many thousand words, pages? <laughs> it was a huge... 
700 pages. Something like that. It was a very huge document that we ended up, which was all of these, you know, 1,500 Albertans' ideas. Then what we did, to make sure that there wasn't any bias, to make sure that it wasn't anybody trying to manipulate the agenda, what we did was in a very transparent manner, we had uh, a big room like this, it was actually our, our AGM, and we passed out, everyone got two sheets from this 700-page document. And your job was to look through the two sheets completely without any bias and see what the themes were. So you didn't, it wasn't your two sheets. It was, you know, we had people that were getting sheets from somebody else in another part of Alberta entirely. And we emphasized you, your responsibility is to honor the sheets, honor what's there, not your own agenda. And people really take that on. You know, when you ask them to do something, they do it. And so then they compiled all of those themes into larger themes and tried to see what were the connections between everybody's sheets at the table. And then the table came back and we combined all the table's information together into these categories. That's how we got the themes that, you know, the 10 themes that people wanted to uh, work on. Then what happened was we have a policy committee that went back to the people again, said we're going to have another discussion. These are the themes. We know what people want us to work on. This is what people were saying. We want to get more specific. So if you're interested in healthcare, come to the policy session on healthcare. And it was open to anybody. You don't have to be a member of the Alberta party to participate. In fact, you could be a card-carrying member of another party. We still want you to come because you're an Albertan and we value your opinion. We also invited some experts so that we had some expertise in the room. And then we developed policy based on the wisdom of those people again. So in every step, it's not six of us in a room deciding anything. I don't have any more influence over the shape and direction of this party than anybody else. And that's what we want. Now we have these policy directions that were uh, presented to the members and amended by people, again, amended by people that weren't even members of our party. Um, but eventually you have to take a vote, and the voting was done by members. So they passed these directions. Now what we're doing is taking those directions and getting more specific about what does this mean? How would we do this? So when we say we want more you know, invested in prevention, how would that work? What are the logistics of that? So we have people that are working on these committees and subcommittees, and again, it's all volunteer, people with expertise in those areas or passionate about those areas that are helping us develop the uh, flesh and, uh, and sinew to go on those bones. So in every step of the way, transparency is incredibly important to us and accountability, and we try to make sure that it's always an inclusive process, that there's no hidden agendas, um, and that we can all feel truly proud of the work that we've done. I'll just add one thing. We're also, as we're developing the policies now, we're going to put up wiki pages, so like wiki spaces where people can come online from anywhere and, and add in, right? And we'll have those moderated, but those will be in the mix as well. So we're trying to be as accessible as possible. Here we go. Hello. My name is Van Christou. Uh, thanks, Sue, for being here tonight. Uh, I really like what I uh, hear about uh, your, your policy summary here and what you've said about what the party is doing. Um, at a time when there is so much uh, to be done mm -hmm. uh, in terms of what people want in a, in a society, uh, my concern is that it's very easy to get bogged down with all these details of the people's complaints and so on mm -hmm. and lose sight of the vision that's required at a time when this globe is moving ahead at a very rapid rate. Mm -hmm. um, when uh, we're seeing developments in China that are uh, way ahead of what we're doing here in Alberta. Mm -hmm. You know, we've had a lot of money here for 40 or 50 years. And what have we done? We still don't have a 500-mile-an-hour train like they have in China already. Mm -hmm. uh, or, and I can go on from that. That's just mm -hmm. one example. I think we're way behind already. 
what have we got in terms my worry is are we going to get bogged down with all these details about people's complaints and and, and so on mm-hmm. and lose the opportunity to create some vision uh, for the long term. Uh, when things move as quickly as they are, I think the vision is far more important than it's ever been before, and I don't hear any of that in here. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for that. I think uh, vision is absolutely critical, and people are all across the province saying they want long t- long-term planning. They're tired of the short cycle. They're tired of the election promises, you know, the three-year uh, instant gratification. And they really want the province to start thinking in a much longer cycle so that we can plan for our children and our grandchildren. So you're absolutely right that, that many Albertans share that. If you don't feel there's a vision yet articulated in what we're doing, it's because we don't think it's our job to create a vision and then go out and sell it to you because we don't believe democracy is a commodity. We want to create a collective vision, a shared vision, by working with Albertans, and that means that you have a responsibility and you have a responsibility and I have a responsibility and you have a responsibility to contribute to that vision and to give it the teeth. I think what's happened is that most politicians don't feel they have the mandate to make some of these really difficult decisions, and they are difficult. They're going to mean investments. They're going to mean money. It's going to take courage to be bold and say, I'm going to build a 500-kilometer-an-hour train, whatever whatever that is, or we're going to be the green superpower of the world. I mean, these are big statements to make. And until you feel like you have the people with you on things, it's very difficult for politicians to have that bravery. But I think we need it, and I think it has to start happening now, because if we don't, you're quite right, we're going to be left in the dust. You know, there are many countries that are moving ahead in many areas, and we have enormous potential here, enormous resources, enormous wealth, and we are not leveraging it to create that future. So uh, I'm with you. Let's, let's make a vision and let's, let's execute it, because if we don't, we're going to be left with, I don't know what, but it's not going to be, you know, something that I'm going to feel proud of. Thanks for coming to Lethbridge, Sue. Um, I like some of the policies that you're putting together. I know you're still formulating them, but I see there's a little bit of a discrepancy here. On the one hand, I'm encouraged because you're saying you're uh, opening the door to renewable energy. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, um, uh, you've got under economy, embrace Alberta's role as a world energy leader. Mm -hmm. So can you explain that a little bit more? Like, Sure. Um, we've got tremendous resources here that are being exploited um, un- in an uncontrolled way, uh, which is a concern to many of us. Mm-hmm. And then we've also got tremendous potential for an alternative. So how do you see... The two fitting together? Yes. Thank yeah. you. Well, I think the, the, the fact is that we do have these enormous natural resources, and we're not going to say shut the oil sands down. I mean, that's not responsible. The point is, how do you manage? And, uh, and management doesn't involve controlling growth and deciding wh- how fast do you want to grow. I mean, that's an important part of that management. But also using the resources to leverage and create diversity. So, for instance, right now we use all of our revenues from, uh, from our natural resources. We use them to pay our day-to-day bills. We use them in our programming, and we use them in our services. <laughs> We're not saving anything. 
Um, that's like me mortgaging my house to pay for my groceries every day. It doesn't make any sense. It's not sustainable. And no one is saying, wait a minute, is this a good idea? We're just using the money because it's there. So I think there's, um, there's a, a really important job to decide what do we want to do with those revenues? Are we getting enough? You know, when you look at other countries, they seem to be getting a lot higher royalty rate than we are. So is that fair? What's going on? Uh, we have to ask these questions, right? And then when we get that revenue, what do we want to do with it? Uh, you know, and I think people need to understand that we have to save. We, we need to save for the future. We need to make key critical investments. Um, so we're not a, uh, you know, cut-all-spending party. We, we believe that government has an important role to make investments to improve the quality of Albertans' lives and also to sometimes, at key points, invest in industries that need a liftoff. So diversifying and moving into other technologies, moving into green technologies, moving us more to a knowledge-based industry. Uh, you know, certain communities are already doing this, the BioMile. There's, you know, there's great ideas at the local level of what they could do to be sustainable communities. And we have to start thinking of those as investments. You know, education and health are also investments. They're not costs. They're going to create the future that we want. So um, I think that the, our, 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 you know, we try to find the middle ground and everything, and maybe for some people that's frustrating because they want you know, an extreme. They have a very heartfelt, passionate belief that you know, it needs to be over here. Um, and, and we recognize and appreciate those passions, but at the same time there are people on the other side that are saying, no, it needs to be over here. So the job of government really is to moderate and work between those two extremes and find the path that makes sense to lead us to the future that we, that we want for, for our grandchildren. So, you know, it's about balance, and I think using the opportunities that we have to create a better future. Can I just add one thing Please. quickly about that? Is, <laughs> you know, we talked about education being our founding policy, the foundation of our policy. We can talk until we're green in the face or blue in the face, however you want to say it, about green jobs and the renewable energy economy. But education is the essential piece. We cannot create all these green jobs if the workers and the workforce and the labor force in Alberta isn't trained to do it. And right now they're not trained to do it. Right? We have the the focus of our of our of our economy has been in 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 the conventional oil and gas energy industry, engineering. It's starting to advance, but we're way behind. So the wealth that we have that we generate from you know, even as we describe it responsible oil and gas development which is the backbone of many communities still in Alberta. I grew up in Drayton Valley. It's, that's what put bread on our table. But it's the wealth that we can collect from that, those, those, that kind of economy to invest in the education that's necessary, right? Because green jobs do not exist because the workers don't exist. Hi, I'm Trevor Page. Hi. Thank you for your presentation. Um, you mentioned that you've got five key points, and in your pamphlet you list not five key points, but sectors of the economy. Um, are you going to publish a detailed party platform mm -hmm. before you start running candidates for an election? Absolutely. Yes. If you, when, go to, if you go to our website right now, this is just a quick little pamphlet. This is not the whole enchilada. <laughs> so if you go to our website right now, albertaparty.ca, you will see a 14-page document that gives a lot more detail to each of those key areas, health, education, the environment, democratic renewal, and diversified economy. The next five that we're developing, as I mentioned. But you're in the process so of putting all absolutely. this together. By the when time, do you think you'll have it ready? May. Okay. Yeah, it, it certainly. Happens, I mean, we need to know. I need Absolutely. to know 
May 28th. What you're all about right. before yeah. I decide to give you my vote. Absolutely. Yeah. I okay, wouldn't expect so, it any other way. Right, fine, because <laughs> we have heard a party leader yeah. at this microphone that mm. you're speaking from mm. say that, well, actually, um, we're not going to publish party platform. We're just going to put out five points. Mm. Yeah, I know. And when challenged, mm-hmm. the answer was, well, Albertans actually can't think more than beyond that. Mm. I'm not one of those. Yeah. Thank you. Nor are we, sir. Nor are we. No, absolutely. I mean, you can't have an informed vote if you don't have information. So, I mean, clearly, we want an informed vote. We don't want a knee-jerk vote. We don't want a protest vote. We want an informed vote. Um, and we want people who are, who are committed to what we're about. So, um, yeah, absolutely, all the information will be available. Hi, thank you. On the heels of that, both for Chris and yourself, I'm an educator here in Lethbridge. <laughs> And I have two questions about education. Um, the one policy or the one statement here about reinstituting localized uh, school boards mm-hmm. and supporting that, my question is why is that policy there? Because of the number of acclimated or acclaimed boards mm-hmm. in this province being as high as 40 or 45 percent and dealing with a board that has no control over the money mm-hmm. when the province passes the money down, a board has handcuffed by that. So I'm just wondering why that's part of the policy and where that came from. Name, please. Paul Bonert. Paul, thanks. Um, well, really, you're right. School board, and I speak from experience, and so can <laughs> Leah here. School boards have a very difficult role right now because they don't have control of the money. And that was a decision that was made by the provincial government in 1994, I believe, or 95. Um, part of what we want to do is restore some of that authority so that they can be effective, so that it is a meaningful job, so that people will want to, to take it on and it won't, won't have so many seats acclaimed. Um, I, the reason I didn't seek re-election is that I didn't find it a particularly meaningful um, role, and, and I was frustrated by the limitations. So part of our, our policy is to restore some of the dignity and the authority and the respect to that role so that they can do the job they were elected to do and not have to dance around in a smaller and smaller and smaller box. The fact that school boards don't have authority over where schools are built is enormously frustrating and, and deeply unfair. So uh, when you can't control, when you have people saying, we need school, we need schools, we need schools, we need schools, and you're going, yes, I know, I know, I know, I'm doing everything I can to try and advocate for it, and you say you're going to be, there, you're told you're going to be at the top of the list, yes, you're going to get a school, and then suddenly something changes and, and the political wind shifts, and now you're not at the top of the list anymore, and you have to go back to your constituents and say, I'm sorry, uh, they changed their mind, we're not getting a school. Uh, that's demoralizing. So I think we have to, you know, we have to decide. If we want school boards, you better give them the authority to do the job. If you don't want school boards, then let's let's not pretend anymore that this is a, a real position. Um, and and our and from where we stand, we feel that local decisions are best made closest to local problems, and so that's why we support local school boards. Um, but there are a lot of things that need to change around that. Now you had another question as well. Right. Um, with the program that's going on in the province, Reboot Alberta, mm-hmm. and Ken Chapman. Um, I have three children go to school. I have a grade eight student or a grade eight son who's in school right now. We had a civic election this past fall of which their teacher, and from my understanding, nobody in that school talked about the civic election. They talked about the Aztecs, the Renaissance, and Japan. <laughs> so my mm-hmm. question is, and, I, and I'm saying this facetiously because I worked for the yeah. Alberta government last year on contract to yeah. create an environmental stewardship program for the high school program that's being introduced. Um, when is... Where does the party believe education should move to? Mm-hmm. 
and is it just a redirection of funds or is it an actual 21st century education that we're going to be giving our students for the next for 50, 60 years? Yeah, absolutely. When you look at when you go on the on the on the website and look at the detail around uh, our education policy, it talks about the primary role of education is to prepare uh, students for the future. It's not to live in the past. So we really do have to get to the point where we're doing a 21st century education. Um, and the limitations around uh, civic engagement and teaching democracy and teaching ha- how to be a good citizen in the current curriculum, you're quite right. I mean, there's there, if we're going to have voters. Um, we need to be able to educate people towards that and why it's important and what difference does it make. Um, so I think there's an enormous, that's why we see education as the primary policy for us because uh, we know that education uh, is a t- determinant for health. We know it's a, it's, a, it's a predictor of wealth and we also know that education is linked to democracy. So for us, it really is the cornerstone of everything and it has to be strong. And I think that there's an enormous amount that can be done in that area as well. One last question then. Um, I teach in a classroom of grade students that are 36 in a classroom. Whoa, poor um, you, poor and, them. <laughs> I think it's common around the province. Yeah. So to say that education is number one priority mm-hmm. and it's an investment in the future, do you see a, a, an increase in monies if Alberta Party were to take um, leadership of this province uh, directly into staffing, into construction? Because right now I work in a building that has five classrooms that aren't mm-hmm. being used. However, we have 36 students in a class. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's buildings that we need in this area yeah. particularly. I mean, our cities are spread out, which is an environmental problem. Sticking another building up and jamming that many kids in a classroom mm-hmm. is not the answer. Yeah. That's a really complex question, and I'm not even going to pretend to promise you one thing or the other because I think that promises need to be kept, and I wouldn't want to say something that I couldn't then execute. Um, I think... We believe education is important. We see it as an investment. We recognize that we have a lot of problems with infrastructure. We know that, you know, in Edmonton Public, we had million, millions of dollars in deferred maintenance, right? So our buildings are crumbling. It's, 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 it's become a real chronic problem, and it's, and it's an embarrassment. I think as a, in a province that's this wealthy, why we can't have, you know, really good facilities, why we can't have, why do we have poverty here? I mean, there's so many questions. You're going to wonder what's going on. In, in, uh, in Edmonton, the poverty rate is, you know, one children in six lives in poverty. So, I mean, there are a number of issues that really beg the question, what are we doing and where are our priorities? For me personally, my priority is children and will always be children. So, you know, wherever I go, that's what I'm going to be advocating for. Um, You know, what the budget would look like under an Alberta Party uh, government, I can't answer that right now. Hi, my name is Chris, and you talk about, like, within education, um, every student has a right to learn. Mm -hmm. How do you see people with disabilities fitting into that? educational component. Yeah, I mean, this is certainly a huge issue, and I think we have to, um, with the setting the direction, I don't know if you're aware of where the, where the, where the, yeah, where the government is going with that, um, I think we're recognizing that some of our practices um, that we've inherited from the past um, aren't truly fair and aren't truly democratic. And so as a trustee myself, uh, we saw people, parents being counseled away from schools saying, well, you know, you, we, can't, we can't educate your child here because your child has these needs. And uh, I found that 
absolutely abhorrent. Like, what, what are we doing? We're supposed to be an inclusive society. So um, I think there's there's some education components. I think, uh, you know, for the public at large, really, uh, we need to be an inclusive society, and we need to find ways to build upon the strengths of everybody. Every single Albertan uh, needs to be given the support so that they can be the, the best they can be, you know, for themselves, for their families, for their communities. And I think we have a lot of people who are who are not being given those supports at the key point that they need them. Uh, and so they're just living a sort of a half life that's really, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it should be an embarrassment to all of us. You know, um, I think we, you know, in terms of, I think about skilled, we have a policy around skilled immigrants and how we want to have professional accreditation, that process go much quicker. So we don't have people with PhDs driving a taxi cab, right? We have to start recognizing that our greatest resources are people. And that includes all people of all abilities. Thank you. Thanks. Hello. Hi, my name's Ian McKenna, and uh, I'm glad you talked about experts. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but okay. I'm not one, not one of them. <laughs> but uh, we do have an expert panel mm. here monitoring the tar sands now. Mm. We'll call them what they are, the tar sands. Mm -hmm. um, are you in favor, of, first of all, of that concept? And secondly, looking at the panel and the fact that one of the scientists has already uh, run out of it, mm. um, you know, because, uh, you know, for various reasons of hers. Mm. Um, so I'm just uh, interested in your, your view about expert panels mm. and perhaps even the question of is this really an expert panel or is it just people that the oil industry uh, will feel are... Uh, you know, kind of mm. going to be good uh, good for them. Yeah, well, I, th I mean, I, again, I'm not familiar with all the people on that panel, so I'm, I, I won't necessarily be um, uh, calling specific people out. But the idea around how do we make good decisions, I think that's at the core, right? And how do we decide what is fair and what's reasonable and what's safe and, and, and how do we make decisions about our resources? I think our policy, our party, is about bringing as many people to the table as possible with as many different points of view as possible and that the best answers come there. So it's not that we rely entirely on experts and it's not that we discount experts, but experts must be you know, held in balance with regular Albertans because regular Albertans own this resource, right? It's, it's not owned by the companies. Um, and it must be regulated in a way that it, you know, serves the interests of all Albertans, and that includes you know, strong environmental protection and other things. But, um, so I think, you know, and the issue of transparency, you touched upon, you know, are these real experts or are they placed there for, for the benefit of, of industry? There are a lot of questions around appointments to boards, you know, and we really want that process to be much clearer, more transparent, and uh, so that it won't be done along political lines, that truly the best people will be there and that they'll be charged to do the work, not to serve a party. Again, we always come back to this idea of serving the people, not serving any party, including ours. Uh, well, just then on that point, and then I'll, I'll get away, um, uh, the, uh, one of the reasons this particular scientist left mm. was that there are no Aboriginal people on this, and we right. know that the tar yeah. is a huge issue. Mm -hmm. Is that an issue for you? I mean, Absolutely. should there be 
Average well, I mean, I think there should there should be diversity, absolutely. And if you're not getting all of those perspectives, how can you trust the decision? You know, so I think we we have not done a great job in this province of including Aboriginal people in our in our in our society, and uh, we have to take some you know steps to to rectify that. Um, and I think there are lots of populations that are that are marginalized for many reasons, not just them. But yeah, I think that's a it's a great question. Uh, it's clear in our policies, and it's clear that uh, what we heard from the big listen is that monitoring of not just the oil sands, but of any industry that has the po- the, the prospect of, of having in, or creating environmental damage, is critical, and that has to be arm's length right now. Uh, when you know there have been cabinet ministers or ministers of energy in this province that have operated behind the the curtain of their ministry of their cabinet post, and nobody knows what they're doing or who they're working with or who they're engaged with. Uh, so, front, you know, very transparent monitoring is an essential part of our environmental policy as it relates to what's happening in Port McMurray, and 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 even there's other oil sands that are not yet even started, in, like the Peace River oil sands is another one, right? So that that will come on stream. Uh, there's this there's this organize as an organizer. There's this word that I used, which is a really boring word called subsidiarity, which is essentially those people who are most directly affected by the decision need to be most involved in the decision. And in the case particularly of the groundwater impacts of, of uh, the oil sands, uh, the Aboriginal community needs to be front and center in that. There's no question about it. Great. Thank you. You bet. <laughs> Poor thing. I just want to. I just want to uh, recognize that your your MLA is in the room, and many of you probably already know her. But Bridget Pastor is here tonight, and I want to thank her for coming. She told me not to single her out, but I don't listen. <laughs> Neither does the two of us. I know. Okay, so you know, I'm defiant. How about that? I listen well, but I'm defiant. Go ahead. Okay, the name is Jay. I'm going to change the tenure here for a minute. Sure. Because um, you're very impressionable. Uh, you speak very, very well. Um, you're almost the face and the voice of the Alberta Party. Well, technically, I am the face and the voice <laughs> until May 28th, and then you'll have a different face and a different voice. So there was a sentence in the newspaper <laughs> I sort of would like clarification because it said that you were an ineligible to run for the leader. Was That's that correct. Your choice, or no? It's a party rule, and I and I like this rule. Uh, it's because I was appointed by the board. I was not elected. Uh, our rule is anybody who's been appointed by the board cannot seek leadership in the next leadership race that abuts their appointment. And that is to prevent uh, an, a board appointee of any shape, variety, or stripe from having an undue advantage in okay. the leadership race. And, uh, and really to be very clear and very transparent that I am not campaigning for myself. I am here to serve, to serve the party, and then I will pass the ball off to the next person. Do you see a role for yourself in the party? Well, I'll go back to my, my spot on the provincial board. They, I was a board director, so they, they, they've agreed to hold that position for me while I do this for 0.5 salary. And, uh, and, <laughs> and so I'll go back to that, which is a volunteer position. And I am seriously considering running in my local uh, constituency, but I won't make that decision until I finish this job. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, Richard Stevenson, I'm an educator and a writer, and my question concerns the cultural industries and the arts in particular. 
Um, we have seen this current government sell the film industry down the river in this province. We've seen declining uh, funding for things like the Alberta Foundation for the Arts. Mm -hmm. We've seen them all rolled into Alberta Foundation for the Arts from Alberta Foundation for the Literary Arts and all the other yeah. various agencies and NGOs. I'm wondering, this will probably come under your education mandate, if you've got any policy, if you're working on anything, what your position on the arts in Alberta is. Well, it's in, actually, it's mentioned in our um, diversified economy policy, just one line, um, and it says that we want to see, that's one of the industries that we want to diversify to, right? I mean, there's enormous potential there. We have, we have the Badlands, we have the Rockies, we have, I mean, we're, we're just a film, you know, the whole place is a film studio, right? And you're quite right that uh, many other provinces are, are luring more of that industry because they have more tax incentives and, 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 uh, and breaks for film industry. Uh, my background is in theater and in film, and so Again, this is another area that I'm pretty passionate about. Um, but I think the party, what the party has heard from Albertans is that they also recognize that the arts and culture um, are a key part of a livable community, right? And that we need strong, vibrant, livable communities where it's more than just work, right? Where there is culture, where there is creative expression. Um, so, I mean, I think on, on many levels... Albertans are saying they want this. It, it makes sense economically to diversify that way and, and capitalize on that, you know, enormous potential. It makes sense in terms of community. Um, and, and I think it, today when we had our, our meeting, somebody was saying, I think that Alberta is ready to start thinking about things like beauty and art and culture. We've got the basics covered. We have a lot of things to be very grateful for here, right? We're not in the middle of a war. We're not, there's so many things that we're not struggling with. So maybe now is the time that we can start to truly uh, realize our potential in this area and create those wonderful, you know, a a new economies around creative industries. So um, I think most of the uh, arts policy or the beginnings of the arts policy anyway will come under our, our social, our strong and vibrant communities policy, which we're in the middle of, of, uh, of writing. Um, but I, I could see us, you know, again, it, it, our, our process of, of policy development is continual. So we're never done. You know, there will be more. There'll be more iterations. There'll be more detail. Right. I think one of the things, one of the messages that I would like to see get out to Albertans is that it is a sustainable resource. Absolutely. And that after gas and oil, the cultural industries are actually the second biggest employer in the province. Right. For every buck you spend on the arts, three bucks comes back. That's been worked out. That's been researched. Yeah. yeah. But the average Albertan has no clue. Yeah. He thinks that they, you know, foundations and NGOs hmm. is just like a big sinkhole that we're right. pouring money into. And yeah. it's not true at all. Yeah. So I, I was curious if you were going to you know, enhance the arts. Yeah, well, I think that's why it fell under, first of all, our economic diversification. We see it as an economic issue Good. as well. Thank you very Thank much. You. And please get involved. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, my name is Mike Williams. My question gets back to the education system. Would your party advocate a single education system rather than a dual system we have currently? And I, I'm taking into context that India, for example, is graduating more engineers than we have students in universities. Yes. Yeah. We live in a global environment. Mm -hmm. Unless we produce world-class education, mm -hmm. we're going to be left behind. So a big listen that talks to people in small towns mm -hmm. who are not aware of that competition 
is not necessarily going to give you the right information for you to develop a policy. Yeah. The issue of, uh, you know, of combining uh, uh, public and separate school systems into one and people recognize that there would be some efficiencies there. Certainly you're not paying double for everything, right? Uh, double transportation or double administration. Um, we don't have a policy on that per se, but there, the, but the conversation is happening, right? People are starting to talk about this, and and I think the answer again will come from Albertans. I think for us at this point, what we'd like to see is a lot more collaboration between school boards. Um, certainly, there's no need for a bus to be going around picking up, you know, one a stream of children and then being half full and another bus going along and picking up the, you know, the other children and also being half full. I mean, there's, there's no sense to that. And there's no reason why that couldn't be combined. Um, I think there's enormous potential that's not being realized there. I certainly know that we in the Edmonton public were trying to work more collaboratively with Edmonton Catholic and had to kind of get past a lot of uh, habit and a lot of history. Um, but we were moving forward to sharing some transportation and sharing some resources. And I think that's, uh, the province can play a role, certainly, in helping to facilitate that. And the idea of really becoming the 21st century, you know, learning, world-class learning, um, is absolutely embedded in our in our policy, that we recognize that, as you say, we're no longer just Alberta. We're competing. Our children will be competing on the global stage. So I think there are a lot of things about our education system that are working really well, and there are a lot of things that we need to change, and we need to be able to have those discussions. I think the minister, Minister Hancock, to, to give, you know, um, credit where credit is due, has actually tried to engage in this conversation about what needs to change in the Education Act to get it ready for the 21st century. And I think that a lot of the work that he's done is is really worth uh, looking at and considering. And he's got a lot of ideas that have come, again, from Albertans. That's why I like them, because they've come from the people. Um, but I think we're going to have to change some things. We can't continue to educate in the way that children were educated 100 years ago and expect them to be able to compete. So, I mean, schools are trying to do that. They're embedding more technology. They're, you know, and certainly teachers are trying their darndest to, to get those kids ready. But there are some uh, blocks and barriers and obstacles at the provincial level that need to be removed. And, and we really have to, you know, pull that apart and, and do that work. It's not going to be easy. We're not going to be able to change it on a dime. Just one other quick question. If you did come to power, how long do you think it would take to change the mindset of a civil service that's had generations mm -hmm. of direction and it's almost become a culture unto itself? Yeah, I think I think you're I think you're quite right that forty years is a very long time. Two weeks. Yeah, a couple weeks. <laughs> yeah, I mean. You know, imagine smoking for 40 years. How, how long does it take you to try and quit, right? I mean, how hard it is it to, to change behavior? I, I think you change behavior the best not by coming in and, and ordering people around. No one likes to be told what to do. I don't like to be told what to do. I'm sure you don't like being told what to do. So if we want real change to happen in the bureaucracy, then we're going to have to change our approach. We're going to have to change what we reward. 
We're going to have to change the system so that we say, you know, we want you to be more collaborative. And look, we've created this structure for you to be more collaborative. A lot of times people get mixed messages, right? They're told to collaborate, and yet everything is still in the silos, and all the reporting is still in the silos. So how do you collaborate? It's just a mess. So they revert back to what they know, which is stick to my silo. So I think there's an enormous amount of thinking that has to happen. And that's what's so exciting about working with people like Michael and people in our party is that they are thinkers and learners and doers and they try stuff and they learn from it and then they adapt and they're not afraid to try things. And so I think that of all the parties, we actually have the best chance of working with people to help them see that there is a better way and that we can work in a more collaborative way because we're living it. I think some of the other parties are still adopting the old processes and the old um, ideas. And so that's just going to be a change of guard. That's not going to be, to me, that's not going to change the underneath that you're talking about. And the bureaucracy plays a huge role in in, uh, in our government. And uh, we need to work with those people and not just uh, threaten to cut all their jobs. Um, I think that they can be more, uh, they can be, well, I think if they're not doing meaningful work or if they don't feel that their work is meaningful, let's make their work meaningful. Uh, if they don't feel they're contributing or they're wasting their time, well, then let's make sure that they are contributing and that, and that they, that they are, you know, working towards what we want as a, as a collective goal. Uh, I think that, you know, it's easy to paint people as the enemy, any group of people. It's, a, it's, it's easy to slip into that. It's easy to say the problem is the bureaucracy and those people are bad people and, they, and they're you know, stuck in their ways and they can't learn and blah, blah, blah. So we need to get rid of them all and get a new bunch in. I, I, I don't believe that. I think people all want to make a meaningful contribution. If they're not, it's because the structures are not there to support them. And maybe if you need to retire. But other than that, you know, I think there's, <laughs> I think there's great hope and potential there that's not being realized. Thank you. My name is Jen Prosser. Um, I'm wondering about post-secondary education. Uh, this year, past yeah. year, we saw a significant, I guess, not a decrease, but a, f a freezing, essentially, mm -hmm. of, of the funding that goes to post-secondary institutions. And we saw the creation of two institutions that weren't funded to be universities, as the six-sector model calls it, a university mm -hmm. in Alberta. Now, the trade-off of course, we saw with keeping some of the funding and making these universities was the internal policies and politics of the current government. Mm -hmm. And your board has a few, I would say, disparate uh, opinions among some of the individuals, and they've voiced them about funding models for universities. So I have kind of two questions. The first one is, how do you plan on mitigating the potential fallout for students based on differing opinions voiced by your board members and the influential members of the party? And my second question is, how do you feel about the current six-sector model and the funding given to those institutions? Okay. And I know those are yep. probably not questions that can be answered in full right now. Yeah, thanks. I think you're Jen Brosser on Twitter, aren't you? Yeah, there we go. We're big on Twitter. Um, so the first question is about diversity of ideas and how do you deal with the fact that different people in our party have different ideas. Uh, and it's true. We do. We all do. Uh, and we don't see that as a problem. We don't see that as something to panic about. We see that as an opportunity. Uh, and we see that as, as a really, truly, that's democracy. For us, that's the version of democracy where people are free to articulate their different ideas uh, openly, uh, without fear, and that we wrestle with it together. And at the end of the day, we find something that, that actually incorporates everybody's ideas to the best of our ability, rather than just doing a winners and losers thing where, you know, a majority 
majority wins, losers suck it up, your idea doesn't count, and we're moving on. That's a very divisive and, 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 uh, and, and having been on the losing end for three years on my own board, <laughs> it's very demoralizing. Uh, you feel like you have nothing to contribute because the vote comes and you're, and you're voted down over and over and over again. So I think we're trying to create a different culture, again, even within our board, and we would do it the same in our CAs, our constituency associations, that every opinion is valued and every opinion has wisdom. Your job is to find it, find the wisdom in all of that, and find something that everybody can live with. I mean, it's a consensus model, but it, it really is uh, about respect. So that's the first thing. And I think it's a bit different for people to have, you know, Michael says things about the party. I say things about the party. Chris Labossier, our president, says things. I mean, we have members that, that are very vocal and have, you know, really strong opinions. Um, and then people go, well, you know, what's this party about? You've got like, you know, 10 different heads. Yeah, we do. We have 10 different heads and there's going to be thousands of heads and that's okay. We like leaders, you know, to have authority. That's why we let our MLAs vote their conscience because we think it's important for them to have their own voice. Um, we don't want to gag people or, or squelch that, that ability. So I think as time goes on, people will get used to our way. It is different. I mean, every other party, they only have one, you know, one mantra, and they all fall in behind it, and it's, and it's, it's clear, but it's boring, and it's, you know, it's one-dimensional. And, and a lot of people behind that one voice feel underutilized and underappreciated. So I think in the long term, it's a really a destructive model when you start telling people they can't speak. Um, the other question, I'm not familiar. I don't know if Michael has any. I, I would need to know a lot more about what you're talking about because, to be honest, I don't know what you're talking about. So, <laughs> so why don't you send me an email? Give me all everything you know that's in your brain, and then I'll try to respond given what I know about the party and our policies. Um, I think it's, uh, yeah, it may be a long email, but I think, you know, we're, we're a party that doesn't pretend to have all the answers, and we like leaders who don't pretend to know everything. You know, we want people to be true and honest, and I don't know enough about what you're talking about to give an intelligent response. So you fill me in, and then we'll talk some more. Okay. You tell her, then she'll tell you. No, 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 then I'll respond. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, I don't want to BS you, right? So... Any other, another one? More education? My, t my husband's a teacher, so there we go. Uh, just to paint a picture here, I, I started in grade one. I graduated with a degree. I have two degrees. I have a science degree and a social or history degree. I have a master's in education. And the government right now pays multi-millions of dollars every year for standardized testing mm -hmm. because we don't trust the teachers to get educate our students. Yeah. So rather than placing that money in our schools, they spend millions of dollars a year on standardized testing, and I, yeah. I've gone through the policy, and I don't believe I've seen a policy on standardized testing. We do. We do. I can answer this one. I actually know the answer. <laughs> uh, yeah, underneath our education policy, we actually talk about removing the PATs, the Provincial Achievement Test, the standardized testing, and moving to a, uh, a more comprehensive test that actually measures growth. And that would be developed working with teachers and, and working with people. So it's not we, – we don't feel that the current test works. You're quite right. It's a lot of money to spend uh, on something that doesn't really get to, the, to what we need to know. Um, we, we think that teachers are the ones that have the knowledge, as you say, and really understand uh, how learners learn and the different ways that learners need to learn and that different assessments work for different kids. Um, and I think it's time to really start restoring some of that trust in the teachers. 
really, it's it, this idea of trust and respect is kind of uh, emerging through all of our policies. The municipal policy that we're working on right now talks about restoring trust and respect to municipal leaders, to you know, to councillors, to 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 mayors, to reeves. Um, everything is built on the idea of returning trust and respect to Albertans. Really. So I think it's time for the province to stop seeing itself as this paternalistic figure that knows better, father knows best, and it's time to start actually uh, investing and trusting in the people that are on the ground that are doing the work. Um, with that being said, uh, the president local of our ATA here in Lethbridge is unaware of the Alberta Party and your policies. I would suggest, teachers, there are numerous in the province here yeah. that that's known. Thank you. Yeah, well, we, we need to, certainly all the groups we need to reach out to and send our policies that will be of specific interest to them. And as we refine the education policy more, um, we'll have a lot more concrete pieces and we'll certainly will be sending those out to ATA and, and other organizations, ASBA and what have you, just so that they can uh, share it with their members as well. Hi, Hello. Ben again. Um, <laughs> my question is, I had a, for school, I had a learning disability and mm -hmm. I was in a small school in a small town. So mm -hmm. the technology that a bigger school or school board had wasn't available. So yeah. going into the 21st century and you talk about education, is there a way we can fund proper technology for all school boards so that mm -hmm. the students who are in a smaller school like Raymond or McGrath, mm -hmm. Carson, Tabor can have the same yeah. ability and technology available to them as in Lethbridge, Calgary, or Edmonton? Yeah, I think, I think you're, I mean, you're, you're talking about equity and you're talking about what's fair. And I think we absolutely have to find ways to be fair to all students and to, and to uh, provide what's needed. Now, it's going to be different in different areas, right, and with different students. And I think what we want to see is a lot more flexibility in how the funding happens. Right now, uh, the funding comes in a package and, it, and then there might be some additional grants and it's very targeted. And so you can only spend the money in this way. And often that doesn't address the needs of the particular kids in that particular school or that particular jurisdiction. So um, I think, you know, there's there's a lot to learn there. And in terms of learning disabilities, it's not even um, rec recognized as a special need. So there's actually no additional funding for people with learning disabilities. So, I mean, it's clear that there's some things that need to shift um, in terms of how we recognize need and how we meet needs. Yeah. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Um, Goodbye and thank you for coming. <laughs> Thanks for coming. <laughs> Trevor Page again. Yes. Um, <clears throat> following up on a point made by a previous questioner about that you don't have a vision and that in order to develop, if I understand you correctly, if I understand your party correctly, hmm. you're in the process of developing a vision yes. by consulting with... As many Albertans as possible. Right. <laughs> Now, I, I, I heard about the process that you've been through in the big room and what mm -hmm. have you. Uh, I mean, have you uh, had any previous consultation with the people of Lethbridge? No, this is, is my, this, this is, uh, well, Michael, I think, Michael's been here, but this is my first time here. You've been here, but have you had a consultation with the residents of Lethbridge? That's why I came here. In, in, uh, in you haven't Canada. answered my question. Yes. Well, they, you know, I wouldn't suggest to you that uh, we've had in immense or any significant uh, input from the people of Lethbridge. The, when we did the big listen, we reached out from our base where we, you know, we started where we, where we were at, and we reached out across the province and tried to find people that would organize meetings in various 
place. But you had a big room here in Lethbridge, and you invited people to come along, and they all told you what they thought and their problems. No, that's not how it works. Okay. How did you do it? We tried. I had a gentleman that actually lives in Coaldale that put together a meeting at the Save on Foods in Lethbridge at the community room on November 3rd, I believe it was. And I think half a dozen people came. And we uh, did a big listen with that number of people. We did it in Grand Prairie. We did most of them in Edmonton and Calgary and in those areas where people stepped up and took ownership and organized the meetings. But we're not done. We're not done, Trevor, right? You said you'd listen. Oh, okay. I'm talking. Absolutely. Sorry. Good. Well, I would hope that in formulating your vision, you know, this is the third or fourth largest town in the province. Don't you think we deserve a consultation? Absolutely. Or is this it? No, well, gosh, no. I think this is kind of a consultation myself here today. Well, it's a beginning. And we were going to open up our constituency associations here. Uh, there's going to be a meeting, I think, in a couple of weeks or mid-March when... And David over there is agreed to organize, and Michael will be supporting that. Okay. And that is your time, uh, your place, the best place, to contribute, to build, and to be heard, and to shape the direction, and to input on, to have well, input on the vision. Well, that's exactly what I would think that many people in that yeah. bridge would like to do. Absolutely. Which was why I was asking you. Now you've said this is the consultation. If no. you have another one. No, 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 no. I, no, this is the beginning. This is me saying, hello, we're here. We're a new party. Uh, I want to work. We want to work with you. Uh, do you want to build with us? If you do, great, come and, and, and build. Uh, you know, I don't want you to feel like you've missed the train. You haven't missed the train at all. The train has just barely left the station. So there's, there's an enormous amount of work still to do and an enormous amount of listening that still has to happen. In fact, listening will always be part of what we do. We're never finished listening. Okay, I, thank I, you. Yeah. I think we can... Uh, I think, I think there will be a little bit of time after we finish here. We'll take a few more questions, uh, but in the meantime, we'll pass around the hat, oh, the hat. to see if uh, we can collect enough for the coffee. Uh, and can I just ask a question here? I'd just, uh, I'd just be amiss if we didn't bring up health care. Yes. Um, I'll give you a personal experience here. It's, I've been in the Lethbridge about a year and a half, and I went three times to try to get a doctor. Mm. Okay. I've gone to the medical clinics, you know, to get a prescription. I've been bounced around. I've got to go over here and here and there. You've got to go to see a doctor. I went and interview, and congratulations, I have a doctor here now. Mm-hmm. But, but what, what, is, what is the Alberta Party going to do on, on health care? Well, we, there's a number of issues, but I think what you're talking about there is accessibility. Yeah. And really, uh, we believe absolutely, fundamentally, that everybody must have a primary care uh, health, you know, health professional, whether that's a doctor or whatever they want, but there has to be somebody mm-hmm. who is going to help you be healthy, right? Um, so that's a, that's a, that's that's absolutely part of our platform. Uh, and I said we we invest, we want to invest much more in prevention because we really feel that in order to to address the ballooning costs of healthcare, we as a society have got to get a lot healthier. And we see alarming rates of childhood obesity. We see children with heart disease now. I mean, it's absolutely uh, criminal. So we have got to do some things right now to prevent ourselves from crippling this wonderful publicly funded healthcare system. And if we don't do something right now to change the course, uh, we will not be able to fund healthcare 
in the future because it will to eat up every single penny of the taxpayer dollar, and there will be no education budget, and there will be no social programming, and there will be no Justice Department because all the money will be in healthcare. So we have some big things we need to shift, right? Um, but yes, primary care and, and accessibility for for all Albertans to to a doctor, and whatever that means in terms of getting more doctors to come to rural Alberta, you know, we, all the details have to be sorted out. But the but the premise is there that everyone deserves access to good quality healthcare. Thank, Thank you. you. I think we will take uh, about three more questions, and uh, unless there's way more interest than that, but and then there will be time to mingle with uh, Sue afterwards if you have any particular personal stories you want to share with her. Uh, is that okay with everybody? It's okay with okay. me. <laughs> so I would just like to follow up with the educational where you say the teachers have to be more responsible. We need to inspire our students to want to self-direct their own education yeah. and have it where there's a respect between the teachers and the students. Because yeah. I've had experiences where I told the teacher that I learned this way and this is how I do it. And mm-hmm. it was set up with the previous teacher to do it that way. And she came in and said I was lying and didn't want mm-hmm. me to do it. And so there needs to be a respect as well and almost self-directed teaching within the system. Yeah, yeah. And and in our education policy, it talks about the the key role of the student in that, recognizing that the student, as you say, has a critical part of that and should be involved in their own education. I think that's how you actually will develop the future citizens. If you start to teach that, that that you're part of this and let's work together, If if you start that in a school, uh, for students, then they will carry that through the rest of their lives and expect partnership and expect respect. Expect respect. There we go. Hi, my name is uh, Bill Shields. Hi, Bill. And um, I think the reason why a lot of people didn't vote last time isn't really a lack of different ideas because if you look at the uh, NDs and the Liberals, there are different ideas to the Conservatives. But for me, and I think a lot of people, it's it's the way we're governed. It's not the decisions that they make. It, it's how how uh, we go about uh, on a day-to-day basis with the people mm-hmm. running the show here. And it's very encouraging what you're saying, which is always easy at the beginning when you don't have you know, the power and have to make these difficult decisions. And hopefully, wh- how you're saying, openness and trusting people, and that is going to work. But there's a couple things you said here that caused me a little bit of concern about that, that that's going to carry on in the future. And one is when you were talking about people coming into the party, you have a very uh, rigorous vetting process and this and that. Well, that means really you're only getting people in who think just like you. And so someone who maybe has a different point of view would be asked maybe not to come in. Sorry, let's clarify. That's only for sitting MLAs. So people who are currently sitting in the legislature, because they can't be elected, you know, if they decide to cross the floor to us, uh, we take that responsibility very seriously because we're actually, you know, deciding on behalf of of, of Albertans. So that's why we have that very clear, distinct process to to check for alignment and make sure that the person is truly committed to what we're about and really committed to our processes and wants to conduct themselves in a new way and all of those things. And then once we've convinced, uh, gone through that process, then we make a recommendation to the local constituency board uh, to say we think this is a good fit, but ultimately it's the local constituency board that decides to accept, in this case, Mr. Taylor. Um, So it's only for that. In terms of uh, candidates and people that are coming and members and all that, no, we don't don't vet those people. Okay. And the other issue said was talking about transparency in terms of appointments to boards and school Mm -hmm. boards and all that. And it's the rare government that I have found who is very comfortable 
letting people be appointed to these boards with a public position and opportunity to slam the government repeatedly about what they're doing wrong. Yeah. And yeah. I'd like to know how, how you would work out that scenario if you have X number of hospital boards and school boards all saying your policies are bad and we should maybe have a different government in. And yeah. you would just say, sure, go ahead. We'd like to hear you say these things. Well, first of all... <laughs> Because we like to listen. First, yeah, we like to listen. No, first of all, I mean, school boards are, you know, they aren't appointed and hopefully they don't become appointed, they're elected. But anyway, um, but the, the issue of around, uh, uh, you know, you're talking about partisanship and nepotism and, and wanting to right. have people who like you in these positions so you don't get criticized. Um, I think that's something that we have to move beyond. And really, as a party, we're actually uh, facing a fair bit of criticism right now believe it or not. A lot of people are getting quite threatened by what we're doing, and we're facing a fair bit of criticism from other parties. So this is great practice, right? We have to learn how to accept criticism and see it as the thing you need to hear. You may not want to hear it, but it's the thing you need to hear because it's going to make your ideas better and it's going to make your decisions more sound. And ultimately, you're going to be able to better serve Albertans. So we have to turn it around in our heads as politicians and start to see criticism as constructive and as helpful, not as something to be afraid of or something to try and squelch. So I think, you know, really, as we embrace this idea of diversity of opinion, as we practice this model of consensus, you know, consensus decision-making, um, we, we have more practice in this than anybody, I would say, right now, in learning how to see criticism um, uh, as, as a good thing, not right. as a bad thing. So when you have a, in the future, then, there'll be open votes on on every le piece of legislation or will you have, you know, whips and people saying, well, this is, you know, you have to vote this way or you're out of caucus, like be bo Guy Boudelier and, and things like that. Yeah. Will it be open across the board for we every have, vote? Our, our MLA guidelines are posted on our website. So, I mean, everything we do, we post it up there for you to see. And it shows that uh, the only time we would whip a vote, we wouldn't have a party whip in the typical sense, but the only time we would uh, ask MLAs to vote in a certain way is on two issues, uh, budget, because it becomes a non-confidence thing. If you don't, if you can't agree with the budget, then then the government needs to go. And the second thing would be anything that we've used as a platform promise. So anything that we have taken out to people and said, if you vote for us, we will do this. Then we can't have the MLA turning around and voting against it because that's breaking the promise to the people. But out of, outside of those two issues, everything is free vote. Everything the the MLA has to uh, you know talk to their constituents, find out what they think. Uh, and vote accordingly and own that vote, they can't hide behind the party skirt, as I say, because I'm wearing a skirt. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's really important to us that MLAs, uh, you know, really take on that responsibility. And that's why I say when we vet people, we want to make sure that they understand the obligations that we're placing on them, because it's quite a bit more than just being a backbencher, being told how to vote, and then you just walk in there and do what you're told. Okay, thank you. Yeah. One more question. Jenna. Thanks, Mm -hmm. um, uh, my question, sorry, the Alberta Party has been really good about utilizing social media to mm -hmm. engage their membership and engage Albertans. Mm -hmm. My question is, how do you feel about using social media during question period? Uh, I, I personally, uh, and this isn't a party position, uh, personally, I don't like seeing an MLA Twittering when they're supposed to be listening to the person who's talking across them. And I use Twitter a lot, and but I feel that's disrespectful. For me, that's like watching television when you're supposed to be listening to the person that you're out on a date with. You know, I mean, really, we should be communicating. They're, they're supposed to be working. They're supposed to be listening. I expect them to listen. 
So you can't be listening and Twittering at the same time. So, no, I mean, it's fine for people up in the gallery. It's fine for, you know, observers or whatever. I, I, we really support open, open government, open data. I mean, there's lots of things that we really do think are important. But when you're in there doing the job, do the job. Well, as a moderator, I get to ask a question, too, and it'll be the last one. And I'm surprised nobody has asked this question before. It's a kind of a... Yes, I am a married. Bit of a fundamental... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Kurt. Probably a little bit of a fundamental question. Uh, how does the Alberta Party view the possibility of nuclear energy in Alberta? Ah, good question. You know, we have not developed a policy around that. So people who have strong opinions should uh, should get talking to us. It did not come up in the first round of, of big lessons that we did, and p quite possibly because the people who are most closely affected by that, um, you know, weren't, weren't engaged at, at a high enough level. So, you know, I think that's something that we're going to have to decide as a province. Um, you know, there's a lot of fear around nuclear uh, development, um, and I think we need to recognize that fear and at the same time have a really reasonable adult conversation about it to make the best decision. We can't let fear drive us. It can inform us, and we shouldn't pay attention. We shouldn't discredit people's fears. But at the same time, we have to move beyond this knee-jerk response that immediately closes people's minds because I'm afraid, so I'm not going to listen to you. La, 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 la. You know, we have to start really tackling some of these difficult issues um, with maturity. So, I mean, that's not really an answer, but I guess that's a, an approach. Well, just on that note, I can tell you that I think the province is trying to, and a moderator isn't supposed to say this kind of thing, but I think we're trying to make the oil sands, the tar sands, look like a green project by firing it up with nuclear. <laughs> on that note, uh, <laughs> thank you very much, Sue. You're a very credible spokesperson, and it's Thank too bad you can't uh, run for leadership. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks a lot for coming out. Uh, don't forget, tomorrow at noon, we are talking about the very thing that we talked about today, compulsory voting. Hello? Whoever's interested in the Constituency Association, you can uh, come forward and talk to them. Yeah, you're welcome to stay and uh, chat. <laughs>